Most wedding pros think couples buy their services because of a strong personal connection or their portfolio or the awards they've won or publications they're featured in or how beautiful their branding is. Now, don't get me wrong. All these things are important, but they will only get you so far. At some point, you have to get really good at moving them from the I'm interested stage to the I know what I want and you were the only one to help me get it stage. And that happens on the discovery call. And so much more does too. That's why I'm breaking down discovery calls on this episode of Own Your Business, where I'm going to talk about how my most successful clients reach their goals by upping their discovery call game. Three things you have got to do if you want to convert more couples, why a great discovery call will help close more deals, and finally, I'll wrap up with five big mistakes wedding pros make on those discovery calls. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches, I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. People often ask me if I take one-on-one clients for coaching still. Yes, I do. Let's make that clear. But I also do a lot of other things for our company in addition to that. In fact, most of my time is actually spent creating content like this. I do a new podcast episode every week. I write a newsletter for over 5,000 wedding pros every week. I do the IG captions for our social media feed. I'm also working on short form video content now for Reels and TikTok. I give presentations in other educators' communities like masterminds. I go on other people's podcasts as well. And of course, I speak at conferences like Engage. I also create all of our educational content for services like Blueprint to Bookmark, our signature online course, or Catapult Coaching, which is our advanced sales training program. I lead a monthly book club and group coaching for our online community. I spend a lot of time exploring new partnerships with top educators in specific fields like planning, videography, and photography to help create these master classes and advanced trainings in their specific field. P.S. More on that coming soon. I also spend a lot of time opening up our online store, which is coming this fall. I wrote all the material for dozens of guides and templates. And then this December, we're doing our first shift retreat for our own clients who want to scale their businesses more successfully and think one to three years out. And I do a bunch of other things too that are non-content or revenue generating related like recruiting and hiring for our growing team of seven, soon to be eight, writing all of our own sales and marketing collateral. I attend workshops and conferences to develop new businesses with other people and nurture existing client relationships. And I take care of the company finances and insurance and compliance areas, all that boring admin stuff. But I got to tell you, one of my favorite things to do out of all those things is conduct market research. I do quantitative research through surveys a couple of times each year. And I also conduct a lot of one-on-one interviews with wedding pros about specific things that I want to know more about. I like to think I have a pretty good pulse on what's happening in the wedding industry from a business standpoint in a ton of different fields and most markets across the country, even into Europe sometimes. Now, one of the areas 
that I hear a lot about from my clients and people that I interview are websites. In fact, it's why we got into copywriting in the first place. I also hear a ton about branding. It's why we developed our own show at templates and partner with the design team out of Hawaii to do style kits and logos for our copywriting clients. A third thing I hear a lot about is pricing. Of course, it's a massive pain point in the wedding world. Everyone wants to know about pricing and I've made myself into one of the few experts in the industry because it's such a deep niche. Lastly, I hear a lot about social media from business owners who are running into challenges with their business. It's one of the areas wedding pros spend the most time in, but we're staying out of that for now. We've folded into a more comprehensive marketing program that we offer to our existing clients. And it's been helpful for them for sure, but it's not something we plan on doing on any kind of scale soon. Now, when we go back and I think about these reasons that these four areas are amongst the most commonly talked about in the wedding world, websites, branding, pricing, and social media, I think it's because they're very visible. They're very public parts of your company. And frankly, what's public is judged by others, your peers. Have a nice website? You probably make enough money to pay for that great website is what people are thinking, judging. Have a beautiful logo or style kit? That shows how professional you are. Charge a lot for your services? High prices must mean you're making a lot of money. Post beautiful images on social media? You must work with dream clients who have monster budgets. Now we all know that that's not the truth, but we still fall victim to the lure of believing it. I know it's not true. Remember, I talk with hundreds of wedding pros every single year who struggle, and many have lovely websites or stunning branding or amazing images on their IG feed, and some charge extraordinary prices for their services, but they don't book much. In fact, I had one client who reached out a few years ago and he had me sign an NDA before the discovery call. And what I found out on the call when we chatted was that he told me that he had not booked an event in two years. But because he was on the Harper's Bazaar top whatever, whatever list, he felt a ton of pressure to keep up appearances. Don't get me started on how much money people make. Not how much they sell, but how much they make. You know, profit. Because that's really what's important. Don't get me started because most people don't use a budget, nor do they know how much they make until they actually file their taxes. That's when they wonder why they work so hard for so little at the end of it all. My job with one-on-one -on -one clients is to make them more profitable, especially those who are in luxury or who want to scale their business beyond themselves. But remember, lots of revenue doesn't always equal lots of profit. Like I said at the top of the episode, I do one-on-ones with clients and not a ton these days because I'm too busy doing other things. And that's a conscious choice. In 2019, I peaked with one-to-one -one coaching. When the pandemic hit, I had almost three dozen clients who I talked to multiple times each month. It was too much for me to handle. I was working 60 plus hours a week regularly, and I did not start ID Action to work that much. I started our company six years ago because I wanted to help as many wedding pros as possible make it easier for them to succeed. I wanted to help more than one at a time, which is why I had done things like I did at the resort that I worked at and taught events. In 2019, I realized that I wanted to help more than the 30 or so that I was working with. That's why we opened up and grew the copywriting. It's a direct result of that push to help more business owners. 
So was all the time that I spent on Clubhouse back in the pandemic. You remember that? Boy, that was fun. For a few months there, we had 400 to 500 people almost every time that I got on to speak. I loved giving everybody the opportunity to take in that free advice. We did it all throughout the pandemic. Katie and I did nine weeks of free Q&As and coaching early on. We had thousands tune in. And that's why we do this podcast. My hope is to get this podcast filled with nuggets of insight and recommendations out to as many wedding pros as possible. So if you're listening to this, congratulations. And also, please share. Share this episode or your favorite one with whatever social media followers you have or drop it into an email list if you have a newsletter that goes out or simply text a link to the episode to a colleague. Going back to the challenges that I see wedding pros run into and the questions that I get asked, most of them have to do with how do I book more? How do I charge more? How do I book more? How do I charge more? In pre-pandemic, it was how to stop getting ghosted. Ghosted was the word of the year in 2018 and probably also in 2019. Recently, though, it's shifted from booking more to booking more qualified clients. But let's be clear, that really means couples who have more money to spend on your services. And here's the thing. If you want to either book more, period, or book at higher rates, you have to do pretty much the same things really well. Build desire, create value, provide reassurance. And you do that by sharing the right information at the right time and in the right way. This is possible when you do three things very, very well. One, design an effective sales process. Two, develop skills at operating that sales process. And three, within that sales process, deliver messages that trigger deep psychological needs. I'm going to spend the rest of the episode talking about developing those sales skills. Because to be honest, the sales process is actually pretty easy. It's not rocket science. In fact, we know through scientific research exactly what works best for complex sales situations. You can read the same books or enroll in the same behavioral science program as me, but I'm saving you hundreds, maybe even thousands of hours reading and researching, plus all the money that it costs to do that. Messaging, the third component, it's different than the sales process. It's tough. It's a lot tougher. In fact, it's so hard to get right, we don't spend a lot of time teaching people how to do it. I tried, but instead decided to offer it as a done-for-you service. That's why we offer brand communication strategies with every website copy project we do. It's necessary for the copy to trigger your ideal clients in solid gold if you apply it to your sales process. But it takes expertise, experience, and training. I don't spend a lot of time on the podcast trying to teach you how to dive into the behavioral science or motivational psychology or communication theory. That's graduate level material. This podcast is not the right medium for it. I prefer to spend time on little changes that you can make to the way that you operate your sales process. How can you develop those skills? In my eight years selling weddings, 16 years supervising or coaching others to sell weddings, I can tell you with absolute certainty that one skill is the single most important thing for you to get right, whether you want to book more couples or get them to pay higher prices. What's that one thing that's the linchpin to skill development for any salesperson? Closing the deal? No. Nope. Writing compelling proposals? 
That's a big one. But once you have a strong template and a well-designed set of collections that are priced properly, compelling proposals are actually pretty much done for you. Not a lot of work there. What about the skill of writing great follow-ups? I get that one a lot. Well, that's not necessary if you do this other thing really well. So what's this one thing, the most essential skill that you can develop? Discovery calls. Discovery calls. They're the discussion that you have when someone inquires after they see you're starting at price and they want to keep the conversation going. But before you get good at discovery calls, you have to stop doing all the bad things first. Here are five major mistakes I see wedding pros make all the time. Number one, avoiding Zoom. Phone calls are easy. You don't have to get ready. You don't have to worry about your hair or makeup or shaving. You don't have to change clothes. You can do the phone calls in the car or at a coffee shop, on vacation. Any backdrop is good. And it also allows you to take notes pretty easily. But what's easier for you is often not better for converting the sale. Zoom is the perfect middle ground for most couples because it allows most of the convenience of doing a phone call, but it gives you the chance to make eye contact and read body language, which will help you communicate more clearly overall. You can also use enhanced sales techniques like mirroring to up your connections with those potential clients. You can share your screen, illustrate ideas in your portfolio, or let them share things that make them excited. And also many of your ideal clients want to connect with you and seeing other human beings is one of the best ways to do that. Last week I talked about different buyer types and how you'll convert more often at higher prices if you change up your sales process based on who you're talking to. Some buyer types prefer to connect over Zoom. Relators especially want to see your eyes and read your body language. They also might want to have others on who are heavily involved in the purchase process and Zoom makes that easy. Dreamers, they want to collaborate with you and they also want to collaborate with other decision makers. They want to have brainstorming sessions. Boss types and analyzers, they may not want to do Zoom and that's okay. The key is to give the person who inquires the option of Zoom or phone. Put it in the email, ask them what they prefer and then go with it. All right, big mistake number two, getting personal with everyone. So we're talking about different buyer types. Let's talk a little bit about how each type responds to you asking questions that get a little personal. Let's say you ask, so tell me how you and your fiance met. Seems pretty innocuous, right? For a relator, it's a perfect opening to the conversation. Warm, friendly, connects with them at a personal level. It's great. For the dreamer, it could be if it's a fun story or it impacts some of the wedding or planning decisions that it's a good thing. They may want to share with you. In fact, they may share too much information about their relationship with their fiance. But for the boss type, the boss type sees it as a waste of time. The boss type wants to get down to brass tacks. They want to figure out if you're the right person to give them what they want most. And the analyzer, the analyzer is so focused on the information that they're trying to get from you to put into that little spreadsheet that they have, that they're likely to give you a short, boring answer to whatever question you ask them about personal details, and then they're going to move on to their list of questions. I want to be really, really clear here. 
because this has gotten confused in the past. I'm not saying to not connect with your clients. I'm not saying that you shouldn't connect with your clients. I'm just suggesting that you do it in a way that's meaningful for them. Relators want the connection on a personal level. Dreamers want to collaborate and create with you. But like I said, bosses, they want to focus on good results. That's the meaningful connection, how you can connect them with the results that they want. And analyzers, they want to connect with your expertise, your authority. They want to know that you're the best at what you do. Really what they want to know is that you're not a big risk if they hire you. And so just like you show different sides of who you are to different people in your life, you'll find that you'll book more clients and get them to pay more if you shift your focus to what those potential clients value rather than what you find easy to do with your discovery call script. Now, you may get to know a boss or an analyzer personally as you move through the sales process or the buyer's journey. It's just not the highest priority early on. So read the person, understand their needs, ask questions they feel comfortable answering, and you're gonna get off to a great start with every couple, not just the ones who wanna be your friend because they're only a small percentage of the population. Okay, big mistake. Number three, asking about details. Asking about details early or often in the discovery call. Just like you can find yourself in trouble when you get too personal too early in the conversation, you might step in to a hidden bear trap by asking about wedding details. I see this a lot with vendors who wanna know how much cover to provide for the wedding. Photographers, videographers, I'm talking about you. But the planners, you do it too, because you wanna know everything about everything to create a budget for the couple even before you book them. But that's a dangerous game because they typically call planners to help them with those details, with design, with budget, timeline, vendor selection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Most couples don't have a timeline or know all the things they're doing for the wedding when they reach out to the planner or the photographer or the videographer. If you're working through a timeline with them on that discovery call, it's likely bogging down the process. Nothing takes the ease out of an emotional decision-making process like rolling up your sleeves and asking to talk about logistics. Plus, when you ask people questions they don't know the answers to or can't confidently share with you because they haven't fully talked it over with their fiance or other decision makers, they might even feel stupid. And if you do this too many times, they're going to feel like they're cornered. So read the conversation on the discovery call. Don't push about the details if you get the feeling that they don't know the answers to a few of your questions. Or maybe it's not the details, maybe it's just their vision. Don't ask them things that they don't know about. And for the love of all that is holy, please don't educate them when they come up with a blank response or something that doesn't make sense or is totally wrong. No one likes to feel dumb or pushed into a corner or told that they can't have what they want. Remember, kids in school often talk about the teachers they don't like more than those they do. Because pretty much no one liked to be educated, even back when you were in school. The discovery call is not about educating, it's about learning their needs, what's important to them, how they're making the decision, who's helping make the decision, what the timeline is like to make the decision, if they can't afford your services, and so many other things. That's what the discovery call is about. Ask the right questions, you'll get the right answers, and it will help you get what you want from the conversation. 
Here's mistake number four, presenting packages and pricing. Do not take the discovery call and turn it into a sales call. You'll hear me use the term discovery call when you're talking about this conversation because it's not a pitch meeting. It's too early in the buyer's journey to present products. Remember, the five stages of awareness are unaware, problem aware, solution aware, product aware, and most aware. Good salespeople offer the right information at the right time. The goal is to move the buyer from one stage to the next. You can't successfully skip over one or two or more stages. So when someone inquires and they don't even really know what they need from you, they're not ready to buy your products. They're probably not even ready to hear about your services because they don't know what they need. When you're conducting a discovery call, you're moving them from unaware or problem aware to solution aware. They're aware of the basics of what you do to meet their needs. That's what you're helping them discover. The proposal, that's where you pitch your products, your packages, your pricing. That comes after the discovery call. You have to do it in order and you can't skip over steps. Now, you could do it all on one call, but it's probably too fast for most people. It's like asking someone to marry you on the first date, even if it's a really good one. It's probably not a good idea. Katie and I, we fell in love on the first date. I kid you not. We literally fell in love on the first date, but I waited a couple of years to propose. Besides, a cardinal rule for successfully selling your services is to make sure all the decision makers are in the room when you make your pitch. If you get a groom-to-be on a discovery call all by himself and you start talking about packages and pricing, you are not going to get very far because he's not making any of the decisions without his fiance. And who do you want communicating to them? Him? You want him selling your stuff? Or do you want to have the opportunity to sell to her or the other decision makers that are behind the scene? So save your packages and your pricing, specifics, all of that for the customized proposal that you're going to send over after the discovery call. And always try and set up a time to review the options with the decision makers once they've had a chance to go through your pitch. Don't do it on that first call. Last big mistake that I see that I'm going to share with you today, not talking about budget. Discovery calls are where you qualify clients. Are they a good fit? Do you get along personality-wise? Is their project interesting to you? Does it spark your creativity? Will it build your portfolio? Or at least fit with your style? And yes, of course, can they afford your services? Look, talking about money is hard. It can be scary. You might sound nervous or fumble over your words. But if you want to sell more and save time doing it, you've got to get good at discussing a client's budget and how much your services cost. And the best time to do that is toward the end of the discovery call. Now, I've done an entire episode on this, so check out own Your Business episode 12 on how to talk about budget on the discovery call. I'll walk you through exactly how I recommend doing it, including four questions in order that will give you the confidence to do it right. So those are just five of the big mistakes that I see wedding pros make on discovery calls all the time. And there's many, many more. But this is a great place to start improving because they'll have major impacts on your success. If you're interested in getting better at leading the conversation, 
Tune in soon when I'm going to walk you through proven techniques based on behavioral science and communication theory to make your discovery calls incredible. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 